This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. could uh, take a moment and uh, open up your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we have some ushers who are walking around. They're going to get one in your hands. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. You can take it home and mark it up and read it. And uh, we pray that the Lord speaks to you through his word as he does. And uh, if you didn't bring your Bible today and you just want to borrow one, you can raise your hand also. They'll get that in your hands. You can leave that here. Uh, But we want you to have a Bible in your hands. And when you do, if you're have your own Bible, or if you are, um, if you are uh, uh, using one of ours or taking one with you today, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to be looking there. And then also just uh, put your finger or a bookmark or something in uh, Luke chapter number 11. Luke chapter number 11. We're going to look at those two places. I'm going to reference a few others, but that's where we're going to be camping out at. And one thing I want to do this morning before we go into this message, we're continuing our series entitled Culture. Now, I want you to remember when we use this word culture, there's, there's other ways to use it besides maybe just how we think about it. Culture can be who we are and kind of the, the DNA of, of what we are as a people. It's the culture of the church. Another way to use that is you're going to culture something, something that you see that is needs cultivation and needs to become and be developed, and this is uh, one of those ways that we want to use that also. These are culture statements in as what, who we are and things we are strong at, and then culture statements in things we want to develop and culture here in this church. Before I jump into our sermon today, I want to take a moment, and you'll understand why. Hopefully you're starting to see the theme as Anthony uh, just uh, laid out an incredible uh, de- declaration of God's character and then just dropped the mic and walked off the stage like Jay-Z or something. Hopefully this mic still works. Um, but it was a, a phenomenal declaration of God's character. Um, but a lot of times what we think is that God is not generous. And the problem is not God's generosity. The, prom- the problem is our thanksgiving. Uh, We don't see the areas that we need to be thankful for, and so we think God is not giving us enough. And so I want to take a minute to be thankful for all that God has done in our church over this last year. If this is your first time with us this morning, I I want to say that as we go into this sermon today, you may feel like an outsider. That's not the intention. If you are not a follower of Christ and you're just looking in on us today, uh, we'd love having you. And and I can see how this sermon might feel uncomfortable or cause confusion. But I I do pray that, uh, that you learn from this today. Uh, uh, This is directly focused upon us, followers of Christ, specifically in this church, uh, and this is extremely important for us. Uh, One of the things that we saw this year is that the Holy Spirit uh, uh, undoubtedly moved in our midst. I am thankful as a pastor. This is where an area I am extremely thankful for, and that is I have seen a deep hunger Uh, that has been put in us as his people this year for him and we have seen him move and that fullness of God being in us by his spirit for his gifts for his work I have just been um, enjoying seeing the hunger for God's spirit in this congregation 
Uh, we saw God move this year in very tangible, outward ways. I want to point our attention to this. If you weren't with us this year, but, but uh, I, I'll hopefully be able to catch you up. Uh, we literally saw God's hand reach down into this neighborhood, but our congregation, and, uh, and shake things up. Uh, this was a year of shank shaking. Uh, not shanking, but shaking. <laughs> Could feel like shanking sometimes, but it was shaking. And, uh, and, um, and, and he changed us in so many ways. Um, and he changed us through his word. This is one way he changed us. He changed us through his word as we finished a two-year series in uh, Romans. We studied through Romans for two years. I don't know about you, but I am extremely thankful for what we learned in Romans over the last two years. Uh, what an incredible uh, time where God spoke to us, specifically this year as we spent about six months on this idea of what love is and genuine love. And what an incredible time as we talked about love. God really shaped us. Uh, you can hopefully say amen at these. Okay, praise God. Uh, the other thing that God did in shaking is he added to us um, an incredible amount of a godly leadership. We added elders this year, deacons, RC leaders, kids church, uh, kids church workers and musicians. Um, and, 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 and there was a lot of transition that was happening, so a lot of newness in that. Others who have been faithful have stayed in those positions. But I wanted to just recognize something as we talked about this series across all redemption churches. You know, there's nine redemption churches in Arizona. We, we are so closely related as we talked about, you know, where God's grace has been. Mo all of our pastors throughout the, the uh, congregations have constantly reminded us that we need to be thankful in this congregation specifically that we really don't have staff here. I am the only one who part-time this year for the first time, by God's grace, was able to come on part-time. I've been working other jobs, still working another job. But all of our elders, all of our musicians, every kids' church worker, everybody in this church is giving generously of their time. And I, I think we should take a moment to thank all the volunteers that work in this church. It's been an incredible blessing. A part of that shaking was that God saw fit in, in this year to reach down and to increase our attendance on a Sunday morning to uh, 120%. We have grown over 100% year over year. Um, now, what that means is that um, if you don't know the story, that God reached into this community as we merged in with Redemption Church. It's a multi-congregational church. There's nine congregations in Arizona that are meeting together. There's over 6,000 people that are worshiping together. We are part of that church. But as we merged in with them at the beginning of this year, there were three other churches throughout this year that all became a part of this local congregation. And that that was a, an incredible thing. We are totally different. And a part of the shaking was that we would not just identify ourselves as the churches we were before, but that this would be Redemption Church. Um, and that, that that would be who we are. Um, and then part of that, one of the congregations, American Lutheran, had been in uh, American Evangelical Lutheran has been in existence since the for 65 years. What an incredible ministry, faithful members. One of them, as they became a part of Redemption Church, they gifted us this building debt-free. And, and I think we should thank God for this huge amount of generosity. Um, 
to, to go from renting something to be giving a building is, it's a miracle. It's, the, it's, it's God's grace. And part of that is we had never raised money in order to, uh, to take care, uh, to, to update. We had raised 30000 about eight years ago as Life Connection. That was the most we had ever raised to, re- to remodel a building. And one of the things that was uh, incredible this year is we needed about $200,000, $250,000. About $50,000 was donated in just labor from professional uh, carpenters and painters. Uh, and then... Uh, just in their labor alone, we saved so much money. And then on top of that, about $113,000 was raised within the congregation. That's something to thank God about. Uh, just this year, which is mind-blowing to me, we still have about $89,000, but thank God for redemption that they have had kind of fronted us the money, about $89,000 we need to continue to raise over the year. But God has blessed us. He's been so generous with us. Um, as we've become a part of Redemption Church, uh, this year we grew so much and moved into a building, so many changes. If we would not have been a part of Redemption, we would have fallen short in our budget this year of, of giving uh, about $35,000. But um, Redemption Church and all the other congregations surrounded us and helped us through this year so we could get our bearings. And I tell you, that is a massive massive benefit and all those congregations sacrificed to help us through this year. Now that is not something we want to continue to fall short of the budget that we have in this congregation and to be a burden on the other congregations in that way, but we're thankful that they helped us bear that burden. So can we thank God for a moment for all of those uh, congregations that are there. Also, in this congregation, we took an Advent offering at the end of the year and many of you gave to that and just alone here, we gave gave double what we had ever given in Advent. We gave over $6,000 towards Advent offering this year. And that means as a part of redemption, all nine congregations, we gave over $230,000 to outside ministries, foster care and adoption, all those kind of things. I mean, that is an incredible work of God's spirit that has taken place in our generosity this year. We were able to um, to to take... Uh, uh, the responsibility in, in many ways of, of just this building and, and, and me as a pastor being able to come on part-time and seeing all these kinds of things that are helping. What, what an amazing thing God has done. What I'm really excited about, though, is looking forward into this year, 2015, and, and believing that we have been placed into this neighborhood. We have been given a calling and a mission, and it is our responsibility to steward that. Amen. Can you say amen to that? And looking at the leadership and the people and believing that God has given us exciting ministries and mission and outreaches and community things to take place, ways that we're going to even grow this year. I am excited. I, have, I am extremely excited looking forward into 2015 about what God is going to do. Now, I, I, as we continue in this culture series, I want to remind you of the past things just so that we understand what we're falling at. The, the, last, the first week in the culture series, and we're going to put these up on the screen. You could write these down. We, we talked about what, that we want to be a culture that is rooted in prayer, a culture rooted in prayer. Now, I can't highlight these, but I hope that you understand just by the statement what it is, and you can go back on our podcasts and listen to those. The next thing we want to be is a culture that, that with, 
noticed a high value for God's word and a deep dependency on God's spirit. The following week, Pastor West's incredible message that he preached where he said, and we want this as a part of our culture, a culture where evangelism is rooted in hope. Looked at 1 Peter that talked about this living hope that's in us, that people ask about this hope, this living hope that's in us. And we're able to speak and declare of this hope that lies within us. Today, I'm, I'm going to talk about a culture that is devoted to generosity. A culture that is devoted to generosity. And I chose that word devoted. We as elders chose that word devoted as we work through these messages because of the reality of generosity. And you look at Acts chapter 2 and the Bible says that they devoted themselves to things. They devoted themselves to certain core things, to prayer, to teaching. And one of those things was they devoted themselves to generosity. They sold all that they had and they gave generously that the church is marked by generosity and the reason why the church is to be marked by generosity is because as Anthony which is the best part of this sermon today showed us is God is generous and we reflect this God who is very generous now here's what I, I want to address that when I use this word and I start going into a sermon on money, I can feel the collective gasp in the room. Everyone is reaching for their wallets to hide them and talking about generosity immediately makes us defensive. We're starting to arm ourselves with as many excuses as possible. We all know how important this is, yet because of, I will say, false teaching and because of greed of elders and pastors and leaders and because of the American dream and the consumerism of our culture, because of all of these diagnostic reasons, there are many who are a part of the church. There are many who call themselves followers of Christ that have made multiple excuses for their disobedience and their sin in this area. It is hard to talk about money. And let me, let me tell you why it's hard to talk about money. It's hard to talk about money because money is attached to your heart. That's why it's hard. The Bible says where your treasure is, that is where your heart is. So because where your treasure is, that is where your heart is. It is a very big window to your heart when you look at your spending. God has given us windows in our heart because the Bible says that we don't even know our own hearts. Our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? That's why when somebody says, you don't know my heart, I like to say, you don't either. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? The Bible says only God can know that, but he gives us windows throughout Scripture so that we can see our heart, and the way we spend our money is a window to our heart. So when we talk about money, let me, let me just tell you this. Everything in me hates talking about this, but not because of biblical reasons, but because of cultural reasons. 
I love you guys so much. I'm committed to you. This is our church. I am here whether I'm getting paid or whether I'm not. You can't get rid of me. I love you guys tremendously. This has nothing to do with my salary. This has everything to do with your Christ-likeness. Generosity is costly and Christ-like. And when we start talking about generosity and giving, you're immediately responding with justification and excuses. It's not what I'm hoping will happen today, but I'm praying that God will soften our hearts, that we'll be able to see through this window into our hearts, and that our cry will be, Lord, make us like you. The reason why money is so hard to talk about is because we love money. We think money will save us. We think money will heal us, that our finances and our state of our finances is sick. We get disgusted when we see it. We think money can heal us. The women in this place who... Who want to invest in how they look? Clothing, shoes. There's always money for it. But to prove to you that it's not a money issue, every time you compliment, they make a comment about how cheap they got it, right? That way you know it's not a greed issue. Just because it's cheap doesn't mean it's not a greed issue. You see, spending is a fruit of your delight, but God has given us something called devoted generosity that cultivates that life. This is that idea of if God wants us to have true delight in him, he gives us something to cultivate it, not just to leave us to our desires. And what he gives to us is generosity. The opening of our hands and giving it away cultivates our hearts towards affection, towards him. Now, as I talk about this, you guys are a lot less talkative. There's antsiness. You're looking for the doors. We've instructed the ushers to lock the doors. <laughs> because as your pastor, I am one of you. And one of the things that I have been gifted with and one of the things that God has blessed me with is I was discipled by parents who loved me. And I, I remember giving generously since I was in diapers, wetting the sheets, you know. I sound a little bit like rapping Duke right there. You don't know who that is. That's way beyond, you know. I know since we were in diapers and wetting the sheets, I was rapping on the bike and dancing to the beat of duh, duh. You ever heard that? Sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> Distracted. That's not in my notes, but I just thought I had to go there trying to make light of a hard sermon. I don't know if there's a way to do that, but I was gifted by God, a, a gift. I, I have never in a period of my life not given, not tithed. Since I was a child, my dad said, here's 10 bucks, make sure we give one. It was always a part of my life. I don't remember a time, but I also don't remember a time in my life, even if I've lost jobs or didn't have income, where that was not a part of my life. No matter what came in, always there was a releasing. So many of us have these 
these struggles and these disbeliefs, um, but much of it has to do with discipleship. So my hope today is many of you have not had that kind of parenting or discipleship, and so I feel the weight as your pastor not to just drop something on you and say, figure this out, but I really want you to understand this, not just to lay burdens on you, but for your joy in Christ and your growth in him. Many of you are struggling in your relationship, and it's not because God has not blessed you. It's because you're disobedient in many areas of your life. If you love him, you don't just profess it. The Bible says you obey him. Many of us, and here's some some disbeliefs that we have. There are many in this room who are extremely generous and have have, have over and above been generous in this community. But let me say this, as your pastor and a part of us, we have a problem in this community. And the problem in our community is that for for the large part, there are individuals who are generous. But for the large part, we are greedy. You said, no, it's not greed, it's we're poor. And what we have done in this church is we think that stewardship and generosity is only for the rich and not for the poor. But let me, let me, let me show you a couple of verses. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 because here's what I want you to see. That for the large part, the poor are the most often used biblical examples of generosity. You remember the widow's might? When all of these rich Uh, religious, self-righteous men were walking by and and throwing in money into the plate so all could see they weren't being sacrificial. But here comes this widow with very little and puts it all in. And Jesus uses her as the example of giving. He uses a poor woman as the example. Look at 2 Corinthians. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And, And I want you to see who Paul uses as the example church for generosity. Look at what he says. We want you to know, brothers, and as we're reading, remember this is the word of the Lord, about the grace of God that has been given among the Gentiles of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance and joys, their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and as, can, as I can testify, beyond their means, and in their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this not as we expected, but that they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Look at what Paul is showing us. Here is a church that is is in extreme poverty. They are in extreme affliction. And and so often uh, we are so narrow on what we think is extreme poverty. In America, we look around into our our most extreme poverty. And yes, there is poverty that is here, but we look around that it isn't. But we, we don't have windows to what extreme poverty is. You go into a third world country, you see extreme poverty. 
This is extreme poverty, and, and, and this is extreme affliction. These are the types of people that could use every excuse, but because of the work of Christ, they see the, the Jewish church, this is the, the testimony that here, is, in, is, in, is, is suffering. The Jewish church is suffering, and they are in need. And so you see these people in poverty, extreme poverty, and extreme affliction because of their obedience to God, but then it goes beyond not just the tithe, not just their obedience but they go beyond and they give free will and they go extreme beyond and they sacrifice to them this is the widow's might this is the church that's willing these are poor people being used as the example for extreme generosity this is the case across scripture poverty is never an excuse for your lack of generosity many of us think in this room that greed is the rich man's problem. But, but let me say this. Hopefully you can hear this in which the heart that I speak it. Greed is a sin problem. It's not a money problem. Greed is a sin problem. People can be greedy who don't have money. Just because you don't have money doesn't mean you're not greedy. It just means you haven't been, uh, you haven't been cursed with the money to feed your greed. God, in some ways, have been gracious towards you, to, but but there's a, a hidden greediness in poverty. Let me tell you why. Poor people spend a ton of time thinking about money, often more than wealthy. They spend a lot of time hustling. They call we call it we call it hustle. We spend a lot of time doing whatever it takes to look out for who? For God, his glory, and his church? No, for me, for number one. This is a hard statement, church, and I know it sounds like an ouch, and you're saying you don't get it, but hear me, remember this. I'm one of you. I'm in this with you. We are the people of God together, I love you. We have a sin problem here. And it's not poverty. It's greed. I, I want you to fully worship and follow Christ and I want you to enjoy the fullness of your walk in Him and I want you to grow in Him but for many of us we are worshiping money. And here's the problem in the church that we see today. False teaching has so penetrated the hearts and minds of people that we not only worship money but we think Jesus does too. Because we've heard this prosperity gospel that tells us if you give a little bit to, 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 to the church, then God will prosper you and you will be prospered. That God wants you to be rich so that if you are in poverty, you are in sin. And sin is never equated to poverty in scripture. It is greed and it is lack of stewardship. There's always the deeper issues because there is, like Paul says, I've learned to live without and I've learned to live with a lot. Church, here's what I want us to hear today. I know this hurts, but many of us need to learn to steward 
what's been given to us. You remember that there is many times in Scripture, when you look at the parable of the talents and Jesus shows us this master who gives ten and five and two or whatever amounts he gives to different servants, and they are to invest that and bring it back to the foot of the master. And the one who had the least was the one who had what? The worst perception of the master. He said, I know you're a hard man, so he wouldn't invest it. You see, he had been given by the master an allotted amount, and he refused to steward it. Here's what I want us to hear today. That many of us have also believed that because of grace, the tithe is destroyed, or generosity is destroyed. And here's here's what I want to do. I want to kind of talk to you about this for a little bit because I, I understand the sentiment, but I think it's, it's misguided. And here's, here's what I want to do. I want to read to you a scripture, and then I want to quote a lot of John Piper. If you don't know who John Piper is, then uh, I'm going to fall back on John Piper, kind of hide behind him a little bit. Hopefully he can say he's out of the, he's out of the pulpit now, so, so I mean out of pastoral, so I can hide and just let him take. If you haven't heard of John Piper, I mean this guy preaches grace and, and, un, and, and just an overwhelming amount of grace and this grace that is so lavished upon us so many of us in this room have been formed by the the spirit-led teachings of John Piper so I want to give us just a few comments here but I want us to look at Luke chapter 11 and, and let's see here Luke chapter 11 verse 42 and I just want to make a couple of statements remember as we're reading this this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees here's what he says Luke 11 verse 42, but woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, but you've neglected justice, the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. I love this verse because here's what Jesus does is he shows them that just because they are tithing doesn't mean they have the heart of God. Just because they're tithing doesn't mean they have the heart of God. He's saying you've neglected issues of justice and caring for people. You've neglected mercy. You've neglected the, 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 the real heart of God in this. Listen, I know that there are many people who tithe who are hiding their selfishness and they've camouflaged it behind their religion. They don't have God's heart. They just have camouflaged it behind their religion. So I'm not talking about tithing as a religious practice because I don't think tithing in and of itself is going to save you, church. It's Christ who saves you. But here's what I do know. That Jesus doesn't say, stop tithing. What he says is, get my heart, and when you get my heart, you won't neglect tithing. Why? Because here's the cool part of this verse, and I love this, is his justice and mercy. When you care for people, it's going to cost money. Justice costs money. When you see poverty and brokenness and people in hurting, when you see those who are around this city who are broken, and you see ministries that are out there trying to help, you know that doing good works for others costs money. To have this building, to be blessed by God is a great blessing. But to steward this, to care for people, to reach out to this neighborhood, it costs money. We know this. 
Deuteronomy 14.23 says this. This is Piper again. He says, for this purpose, we've been given tithing that you may learn to revere the Lord. Tithing is a lesson to us. It's a common practice to continue to remind us that we revere God. Here's another thing. Bringing God the first fruits of our income as a tithe is a constant reminder that everything you have is God's. The, co- the tithe does not mean this is God's This is God's, and the rest is mine. The tithe means that this, is, this belongs to God and to the ministry of the church, and the rest is meant for a lifestyle of justice and love to God. Tithing teaches us the real nitty-gritty to trust in God. If you don't bring God the first tenth of your income because you don't think you can live off 90% of your income, then you are probably not trusting God in the other areas of your life. Tithing is a demonstration that you believe God promises to add to those who seek Him first. The tithe is bringing your first fruits of your income for all of my life before I paid any bills, before I've done anything, I've given to God first. Whether that's automatic withdrawal, whether that's sending my first, uh, you know, first check in, in the mail, whatever that is. I've done that not just because it's a practice of religiosity, but because I want to be reminded, God, all this money is yours. Listen, church. God gives us the tithe. So that we refuse to live like the rest of the world in this culture that that clings to everything as as doors, but that it reminds us with every time we open our hands that we're reflecting the God that we worship and love and that it all belongs to Him. And it's a practice of dying to self. Here's another thing that I want us to think about and then we will go to a time of just response. Giving is not a personal endeavor meant to glorify you. I see many people who have refused the biblical instruction to bring their tithe into the storehouse as the apostles. They brought it before the apostles and laid it as at his feet and they collected their money together. You think of our Advent offering. If we would have just given it alone just as this congregation, it would have been 6000 which is significant. But when you think about 25 230,000 because we're a part of a larger community. That means all of us collecting can do so much more together. So many take the little bit and say, I will be the Lord over my own money and I will be the Lord over my own generosity instead of bringing it into the storehouse, instead of bringing it into the community and letting a family make a decision together. All of us say, I'll give as I want. Giving is always a communal thing. It's a family thing. We realize that in this room, as people choose not to give, hear me on this, it affects all of us. Everybody is affected. When you make independent decisions, but you want communal benefit, it affects all of us. Everybody in this room, everybody a member of this church, everybody a part of this community is affected when we make decisions to disobey. But when we obey, when we consider one another, when we lay down our rights and we bring together, could you imagine, and this is a statement not to condemn because I'm a part of this community, but most of the money in this community is given by less than 20% of the people that call this home. 
if we just obeyed and only tithed and didn't raise the roof, we would over double how much money comes into this place. This is not a money issue. This is a greed issue. As we look into this new year, God's given us a building. He's increased our attendance. We're reaching more people. God's doing an incredible work. And church, here's what I want you to say. Here's what I want you to hear. We don't have a money problem. This is what Tom, Tom uh, uh, who, who founded East Valley Bible Church, which is now redemption. He is such a huge blessing in my life. And here's what he says. He said this. Church, I'm going to talk to you about money. And the problem with talking about money is not that we don't have the money, it's that the money is in your pockets. It's so true that we don't have a money problem in this church. We've got to just ask God that we would hear and know his heart and understand that he's given us this command for our benefit, for our good, that we would walk in obedience, that this neighborhood for God's glory would be benefited, that us together would be benefited. And here's four things I want to say, and then we're going to go into a time of communion. Write these things down, study them, let the Spirit search your heart. Hear me on this. I pray that you reject greed and consumerism and the way you reject greed and consumerism is with a weapon that God's given to us as his people. That's generosity and stewardship. Stewardship is asking God, how should I use all of my money? How should I use all of it? Every expense. Many of us have not been taught to steward our money. And I will tell you this. This is not just let me tell you how to do it. But if you need help, we have so many people in this church that would be willing to disciple you in these areas. Come to us. But let's fight the sin of consumerism and greed. And here's how we fight it. We make war against that when we open up our hands and we get that money into the hands of God and do what he wants to do with it. And we say, God, I put you first. We make war against the greed in our hearts when we steward the money he's given to us. Two is this. God gives us commanded practices that are meant to cultivate our heart towards him as the greatest affection. Here's what you have to see. It's not just about we need money. It is about your heart and your true affection for Christ. Here's what I mean by that. We cannot keep saying that we love him with everything that is within us when he's given to us these things and placed in our hands this money, this steward, that we don't trust him with it. But every time we give, every time we're generous, we are directing our hearts towards our greatest affection. We are investing in what we say we love the most. We are putting our trust in him and saying, God, this is for you. And our hearts are meant to be steered toward Christ it's an act of worship here's another thing many of you in this room have given generously and have tithed on a regular basis and here's where I'm not here's what I'm not doing I'm not letting you off the hook <laughs> and me off the hook I believe this year God is asking us to raise the roof 
on our generosity. Why? Because we are not going to camouflage things behind our self-righteousness. Ask God this year how you should be generous, even if you give 10%. Sacrifice. Ask God to be the Lord over all of your money and give you wisdom. Be very, very generous. The last thing is this. Obedience to the call of God's word. And I know this is hard to hear. But believe me, it's hard to say. Because, because I love you. But I hope that you see this message as a sign that I do love you. Why? Because I want you to be obedient followers of Christ who love and cherish Him. When does obedience start? Now. Some of you are going to have to take a step of obedience. I can't tell you how many times people have said, Pastor, are you telling me not to pay my bills and to give a tithe? And I would say this, I'm not telling you anything. But I would believe Scripture would command you to. And I can't back away from that. There has been so many times in my life where I have realized the reason why I can't pay this bill has nothing to do with the tithe and it has everything to do with my disobedience in every area of my life. That I'm consuming all the money God has put in my hands and I'm not being generous with it. That I have put myself in debt and it's an act of faith asking God to lead me. Repentance every time that I choose Him first. So I would encourage you. Obedience starts now, and there's tools available for accountability and help. And here's, here's what I mean by that. There are deacons and elders and servants here. There's men and women of God who would love to come alongside of you and help you in accountability. Ask for the help. There's also even online practical tools where you can have automatic withdrawals, and you could go immediately online and get that money where it should be so that you're not constantly wrestling, should I, should I not, that you constantly bring that and give that. There's so many ways that you can steward and direct your heart, and I pray that today you will take those steps. Every temptation in, in me wants to go, come on, let's hug, because I love you. Every time I have to discipline my kids, I'm like, come here. I hope you love me back. I have to believe that doing this for us today is for your good and a heart of love. So as you bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to call you to this table. That his body, his blood, his spirit is in us and we can now live in line with this. And so when we come to this table, we're also asking, God, let me be in a line. That's why the Bible says, don't come to the table without repentance. Repentance is saying, God, let me not just eat and drink of this, but let me walk in line with this. And if I'm going to remember your generosity, I'm going to ask God, let me be generous like you. So as we come to the table, we're repenting, we're remembering, and we're proclaiming. Church, I love you. And I pray that we come to this table 
seeking God, His voice, and I believe His Spirit will work in us. And this year, we will see steps forward, not in perfection, but in Christ-likeness. We will become more and more like Him in this area. And I'm excited to see this journey as we walk forward. Let's come and let's stand. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.